Megan, I actually thought yesterday afternoon about calling you and asking you if you would share a bit about your dad today. Um, seriously, probably about the same time it was finally coming to you. Um, this year she had Diane share on career day. Last year she had her dad share on career day at school. And the, the thing she wrote up in Facebook really impressed me. And I thought, you know, what a powerful example. Steve is your dad's first name, Bills. Uh, for those who, who may not know uh, Megan's parents, uh, they live in Tullahoma area. That's where he practices medicine. And she has a younger brother who's a surgeon at the Tullahoma Hospital affiliated with Vanderbilt as well. So some, then she's got a brother who preaches down in Dallas and another who teaches in a university setting in Ghana, which is where Maggie has gone for a couple of weeks. Um, so a, a real rich family heritage there. And obviously her, her dad and her mom have had a real influence on their family. Uh, he serves as one of the elders of a church there in Tullahoma, and so that influence radiates out. In the passage that I have for today, we're going to be looking at Moses, and this is Michelangelo's sculpture of Moses. He was supposed to decorate the eventual tomb of the then Pope, Julius II. And it took about 45 years for that tomb to be finally completed. And Michelangelo only did this statue of the seated Moses. And the one thing that a lot of people first being exposed to art uh, notice about this statue of Moses is he has horns. And this comes from a mistranslation in the Latin Vulgate of the passage that talked about Moses radiating with the glory of God. And, and it, it was coming out. And so the, the Latin translated that as having horns. And this is in marble now. Uh, the power of translation to shape and influence what people see and hear. Just a little side note that I won't charge any extra for. When we lift up examples like Steve, like Moses, we're honoring the work of God in their lives. But in Hebrews, Moses is going to be mentioned because he is the penultimate example of someone being God's spokesman. 
Uh, I'd never encountered that word penultimate until I got in freshman Greek at Fried Hardeman a long, long, long time ago. And it sounds so great that I was a little shocked to find out that it actually is secondary to ultimate. It's, it's before ultimate. And Hebrews is doing that with angels, with Moses, with the entering of the promised land, with Aaronic priesthood. These things, as great and as shaping and as transformative as they were for Israel as a nation, as the called people of God to be the light to the other nations, they're penultimate. They're not the greatest. They're pointing to what's coming. More correctly stated, to who's coming. So I just want to read from... Hebrews 3 and the first part of chapter 4, this section. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses has been faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house was, has greater honor than the house itself. As I read that phrase, I remembered, reflected back on when Deborah and I built our house back in 92. It was a spec house, the plan had already been settled. The lot was, was settled. Uh, the foundation had already been laid, and we got to pick all the materials from that point forward. Uh, Bobby was our builder's name. And there were a couple of places where Bobby's vision and our vision weren't identical. I'll never forget the, the, the day we drove by and we saw the front of the house was framed and there were these windows across the front that were all uniform and then the two garage windows were down lower. Bobby had his team reframe those front windows. He was the builder, but he wasn't the one who was going to be paying the note. Jesus has been found worthy of a greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. Other translations rephrase this. Moses is a servant in the building of this house. 
Every house is built by someone, but God's the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over the house. Moses as a servant helped erect this structure, but Jesus is the one who resides. It's his house that Moses was building. As Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if, if we hold to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That's why I was so angry with that generation. And I said their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert, and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later, he spoke through David 
as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Will you pray with me? Father, we've heard your word. We pray your Holy Spirit will stir our hearts. Trouble us if it takes troubling. Comfort us if we're already troubled. Challenge us, draw us into what this reveals about your own character. Help us to handle your word well, individually, collectively. Help us to lift it up to others. But Father, most of all, I pray that we will truly fix our thoughts on Jesus, our apostle, our high priest. Help us to hold on to his words well. To mix our hearing with faith that shows itself in obedience. Help us, Father, to not allow hardening to happen in our own hearts. In Jesus we pray. Amen. As we think about applying these scriptures, I want to remind you of the text that Greg preached from two weeks ago. It's in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, where the writer of this letter, some scholars believe, many actually, it was preached, it was publicly spoken from beginning to end. Some people get a little surprised if you'd read a couple of chapters. What if somebody stood up and spoke 13 chapters as the sermon and someone took it down and then adds, well, it's actually 12 chapters of preaching, a word of exhortation, of encouragement. And they appended this ending in chapter 13 to make it a letter form, to be shared with others down through millennia now. 
we thought we were really something with transcribing sermons, recording them and transcribing them. Well, maybe it's been going on much longer than we recognize. But in the opening, Hebrews is opening with this context of God has spoken in a lot of different ways. If we could go to the next slide. Here are just a few of the ways. God spoke through the angels who met with Abraham prior to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God met with the children of Israel in this pillar of smoke and fire. God spoke through the song of Miriam as they've crossed out of Egypt through the Red Sea. God spoke on the top of the mountain through the giving of the tablets with the law. And through a donkey and an angel, he spoke to Balaam, who was being called to speak a word of curse on the people of Israel. Just a quick, hurried survey of some of the ways God spoken. But Hebrews 1 says, God who spoke in those many different ways, prophets, priests, philosophers, poets. The point of Hebrews isn't so much to think about those other ways God spoken as to say, in these last days, he's spoken through Jesus. Jesus is the best spokesman. He's the, inult- he's the ultimate. These others were penultimates. They're pointing forward to the one who's ultimately going to come, and that's the message of these sections in Hebrews 3 and 4. Moses in Israel's history ranks head and shoulders above any of those other prophetic words. There's Torah and the prophets. The two large blocks that the Hebrews would divide their scriptures into. Torah, the words that came through Moses. This is God's self-definition of who his people are to be, what they're to be about, what's to be their purpose, what's to be their glory, what's to be their place in the world. He calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees calls him down into this little, small, narrow land bridge. I call it the hallway connecting Eurasia and Africa. There at the end of the Mediterranean Sea, there's a small strip of land that all of the caravans from the east would travel to and ship all of their proceeds to the West. And out of all the globe, God picks that one little spot 
to plant his people. And he says, you're to be a light for the nations. You have the responsibility of demonstrating who I am and what it means to be in relationship with me. And Moses, if we could go to the next slide, the one who was drawn out of the Nile, the one who was raised in Pharaoh's inner court, the one who heard from God out of the burning bush, who gives words to his brother Aaron, provides for the healing of Miriam and Aaron, the one who meets God on the mountain. Moses is that extreme example of God speaking authoritatively into the lives of his people. If we could go to the next slide. But the point of Hebrews is Jesus is greater than that. He's not throwing shade at Moses. Not disrespecting him in any way. God has spoken in many different ways and Moses is an incredible example of a servant who was faithful in the building of God's house. But his role is not as great as the son who resides in the house that God is building. Jesus is God's son. And the implications for us in the rest of this letter are going to be this call to listen. Pay attention. Wake up. Don't grow dull. Don't allow other things to pull you away from Jesus. In our recent Sunday school class that's been mentioned earlier, uh, we've reflected some on some of the history of this congregation, the group of people who've met here uh, for since the 60s with Hamilton Drive and the 80s with Stones River iterations of this church. One of the things that we've looked at is we're a child of a larger movement. Greg used the phrase, it's, it's in our DNA. Our spiritual inheritance from others who've gone before us. And sometimes in our lives we get so unhappy, so disappointed, whatever, with, with our families of origin maybe or some members of our family of origin that we just want to break off and we want to start anew. We're going to, we're going to change our name. And you can do that legally, but you cannot change your DNA. You, you, you just can't. There are some things that are hardwired into us. And fighting those is futile. 
how do we acknowledge and tap into the best of what God's brought us into this world to experience and to do? The biggest weakness for my experience of our heritage, I think, looking back on 65 years of life, born and bred in churches of Christ, went to Bible college at a Church of Christ-affiliated school. My personal experience, this hasn't always been, was a dearth of preaching and teaching from the Gospels because of an exaltation of the Pauline material. And everything from Acts 2, after the, you talk about the Holy Spirit, on, in the book of Acts. Uh, we didn't study the Gospels in my youth. It wasn't the hallmark of my theological training at Fried Hardeman or at Alabama Christian School of Theology. It wasn't. And I went to a Lutheran seminary in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and ended up taking a course called Matthew as Story. And that was only the second formal course in any of the Gospels. The first one was a required Life of Christ at Fried Hardeman. That was a survey that took a swarming mix of the four Gospels, primarily focused on Luke's presentation. You graduate with a four-year BA in Bible, and you've spent most of your time not looking at Jesus. That's a huge blind spot. We needed to spend some time in those theological schools exploring the implications of Hebrews 3. Jesus is greater than Paul. The Gospels need to shape our lives. And I'm thankful for Greg shepherding us through the recent study of Mark's gospel in our Sunday school class. Do you really know Jesus? Are you listening carefully to what he says in your life? Are you following hard after his call on you? The Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 
Listen to Jesus. Let him set the tone for your life, your purpose, the way you make your choices. And through this example of Moses, there's a deep word of caution, of warning. It's possible to experience God's greatest miracles and miss the promised rest. Val and our first cousins, Mark, my brother, we, we share a set of grandparents, Alan and Annie King, godly people who influenced both of our families, Val's mom and my dad, brother and sister. Alan was a preacher in the Churches of Christ. I remember my first exposure to cross I mean to uh, jigsaw puzzles was at one of the churches where he was preaching. He preached two Sundays there and then two Sundays, the other two Sundays of a month at another church. But there was a family that was often, like Megan talked about, you know, the sort of the, the regular host families when the, the circuit riding preachers, granddaddy wasn't really riding a circuit, but he had a had a schedule that rotated. They would often host us, and the lady of the house kept a card table set up with a jigsaw puzzle, and every time we would go, that would be one of the ways we would spend Sunday afternoon, waiting for Sunday evening when he would preach that second sermon. And I'd sit there and was so excited when I'd find one piece and make it work, and Happened to be there one of the times when she set up the outside frame and I realized, you know, you pull all those straight pieces out and that's how you get it started. And you look carefully at the picture on the box and you find those unique pieces and figure out about where they're going to go. My grandfather got a new Bible late in his preaching ministry and it wasn't really too many months later that he had a a bad fall. His hip joint probably gave way and caused the fall. And his decline just happened after that. Too many powerful medications. And he died. And so our grandmother, we were living there, the four brothers and I, with our grandparents. And grandmother held on to that Bible that had been relatively new. And when I left to go to Bible college, my last summer at home, she called me over and said, here, I want to give you this. And she gave me my grandfather's Bible. It had one sermon outline in it, the last one he had preached. And it was on Matthew 11. There was one passage, because it was so new, he'd only underlined one passage, and it was the close of Matthew 11. Jesus' invitation, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, you shall find rest unto your souls. I can't prove those words of Jesus are what sparks this unusual section, but I can't disconnect them in my brain because of my baggage, my family, my lineage, my DNA, my spiritual heritage. The one thing that you know historically from Moses' story that's so sobering and disappointing is he did not get to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. He dies on the other side, looking longingly. And the reason I think this is alluding to that is the mention in verse 8 of chapter 4 of Joshua. Joshua got them across into the land, but they didn't get the rest that God really wanted to give them. He, he really had in mind But they struggled with unbelief. With a fundamental failure of trusting in himself. In his character. In his faithfulness. In his ability in the midst of the most impossible of situations. The only one who is able to provide... It's the God who's called them into a relationship with himself. And in Moses, he appears, and those horns, if we could go to the next slide. One more. I think there's one more, isn't there? Nope. Go back to the previous one. Excuse me. Those horns, that, that glory emanating from Moses... Moses has the most intimate relationship with God experience on the mountain of any human who had ever lived until Jesus comes. This is a masterful sermon and I've done a very poor job trying to help us Engage with it. But he takes this penultimate example, Moses, and he reminds us there, there's more to God's story. There's more to God, what God wants to provide. And a part of that comes into this word rest. God rested from his own creative work was he tired? No. In the creation, in Genesis 1, it's not about God being exhausted. 
It's about him celebrating, reflecting. It is very good. And Jesus has a mission, if we'll listen, if we'll hold on to him, if we'll focus our attention on him, if we'll really dig in and pay attention to what he's saying, to take us all the way into that rest. When you're weary, when, when life is hard, when, when disappointments are far too numerous, where do you go? What do you do? Hebrews calls us to listen to Jesus. To set our attention, heart focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The apostle and high priest whom we confess. And in that phrase, he's alluding, he's foreshadowing, he's preparing us for the next section. Jesus as the great high priest. I think I mentioned it one of the last weeks in Exodus that we were going to be looking at Hebrews uh, a couple of things came together to encourage this trajectory. One was, in our Sunday school class survey of what we might study next, a couple of different people suggested Hebrews. And as John and Greg and I got together and we spent some time praying and reflecting and, and, and discussing, we knew the Sunday school class wasn't going to go into Hebrews but maybe it would be good for us to follow up Exodus with this book because so much of the imagery, so much of the heartbeat of Hebrews comes right out of Exodus. Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't, don't let anything pull your attention away from Jesus. Not Moses, not Paul. Listen carefully to Jesus. Rest comes only through God's living and active word revealed through Jesus being partners with him requires us to hold firm to what he started in our lives. For me personally, I could never become a tulip five-fold Calvinist because of this chapter. And I, I couldn't be a universalist either, personally. There's a response. There's a hinge point here. It's not just that we hear God's word, 
that we respond. And in some way, and there's mystery in this, we have that capacity to respond. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We thank you for the incredible gift of your son, Jesus. Help us to hold on to the good news that he's delivered. Help us to live for and look forward to the inbreaking of his kingdom into our world. We pray his prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray this in our hearts. We, we pray it in our homes. We pray it in our city. We pray it in our region. Your will be done here as it is in heaven. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And to follow him in obedience. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.